You're listening to the Hudson Valley Region Podcast, an official podcast of the New York City Church of Christ, teaching and worshiping God in the beautiful New York State counties of Orange and Rockland. Well, I have a, an ambitious topic, and I'm definitely uh, just sharing some stuff that I've kind of come across recently, and this is a difficult thing to talk about, but the, the topic is holiness, okay? And um, what I've been doing is I found this, um, this reading plan, it's called The Bible Project, and uh, it is a, a, a read the Bible through a year uh, thing, but there's a lot of other things associated with it. Uh, there's the readings, and there's a psalm every day. Uh, there is um, videos, and one of the videos that I came across was this uh, little video on holiness. So it's off of uh, the Bible Project. So this is not, I just want to tell you up, up front, a little disclaimer, this is not my own stuff. This is stuff that I've really been encouraged by and inspired by and just wanted to share with you, okay? So when you think of the word holy, I thought of this, and you probably do as well, I think of a morally good person. Someone um, that is holy is kind of morally good. And obviously God is holy. But it's way bigger than that when I started to kind of look into it and investigate. So much bigger. I mean, God is the creative force behind the whole universe. He's a very unique being, obviously. Everything about him. It gives life. He gives life. He gives beauty. He gives order to the entire universe, to every being, living being. And so to kind of bottle holiness up into you're a good person, or you act in a good way, or you have good morals, is kind of doing it a disservice, okay? And I read this, or heard this, what about looking at holiness, or using the sun as a metaphor for holiness, okay? And I'm not in any way advocating worship of the sun. I'm just saying it's a metaphor. Think about it. The sun and God, both extremely unique, right? The sun, God is incredibly powerful. The sun, incredibly powerful. God is the source of all life, and the sun is the source of all life. We would not be able to live without the sun, right? And so you kind of look at it and you say, wow, that's holy because of that unique characteristic that the sun has. And it's not just the sun that is truly powerful, but the area around the sun. Okay? But the sun is dangerous, as we know. Even 93 million miles away, you can get skin cancer from the sun. Okay? We know how powerful the sun is on a, on a hot day in the summer. Okay? But think about this concept. The very source which provides life, beauty, and order in our world can also vaporize you in a second if you get too close to it. That's how powerful the sun is, right? So think about this, though, when we apply it to God's holiness. It's the same with us, all right? If we are impure and God is pure and holy, okay, if we get too close to God's presence, 
It's dangerous. And I'll explain that in a second because I'm going to explain the Old Testament before I get to the New Testament right now. But God's presence is dangerous, at least it was under the Old Covenant in the Old Testament. And it wasn't dangerous because it was bad. It was dangerous because it was good. It's not dangerous because it's bad, but it's dangerous because it's good. And we kind of understand this a little bit. Sometimes we don't want to be near things or near people sometimes that we're challenged by, that call us higher. Sometimes we avoid our boss, right? Our boss is probably not a bad person, but our boss is calling us to a higher level of commitment at our job. So sometimes we avoid him or her. Maybe growing up, we didn't want to go to church. We felt uncomfortable in church because the people there or what was being talked about really made us uncomfortable. What they were talking about was really good, but we avoided it. We looked at it as dangerous. I know for me, personally, that's what, how I view it. I tried to stay away from the church. Even when I started to investigate God and a relationship with God when I was 24, 25 years old, there was still part of me that just kind of wanted a little bit, but I didn't want to get too close. I knew that I was living an impure life, a sinful life, a life without putting God first, and I didn't want to get too close or too deep because I felt like it was dangerous. My life would be exposed. People would know about the things that I did and the things that I stood for. And so we can kind of understand that concept a little bit. So I want to talk a little bit about the paradox of God's holiness. It's awesome. It's good. But it's also dangerous. All right? Let's talk about Moses. You don't have to turn there, but... We see this example in the book of Exodus, chapter 3. Moses, when he comes close to the presence of God, and by the way, God comes down in the form of a burning bush, a bush, and he begins to have this interaction with Moses. And God tells Moses, take off your sandals. The ground that you're standing on is holy. All right? The ground is holy. So God's presence is in that burning bush. Don't come any closer, Moses. Take off the sand. It's a strange interaction, but it kind of gives us some insight into the holiness of God. And then we go on a little bit later, and God decides to put his presence in a temple. Okay? Kind of an informal, formal place, because it's kind of like a tent that moves around as the Israelites move around. But God's presence is going to be there. Later on, God will have a brick and mortar temple. So he goes from a bush to a tent to a building. And then we get what we have today, which is obviously the full, the full uh, uh, revelation of God's holiness, which I'll get to. All right? But God eventually puts... His holiness in the temple. And there's actually a little spot in the center of the temple called the most holy place. And that's, that's kind of like the hot spot of God. Alright? And I think this is kind of where the temple is, I think, kind of where some churches and a lot of people today kind of get off track. I went into New York City uh, near Columbia. And whenever I go to Columbia, 
I like to go to Riverside Church. I like to go see St. John the Divine. They're big museums, and I go in there and do a little tour and all that stuff. The place is unbelievable. St. John the Divine is the largest Anglican church or cathedral in the world. The fourth largest Christian cathedral in the world. Riverside Church, another amazing building. And I like to go in there, and it started to dawn on me why people get so caught up in these buildings and all this great architecture and the statues and, and kind of how you feel in there. And that's not a bad thing kind of in it by itself. But I think where people have gotten off track is that becomes what you're worshiping. Oh, we have this awesome building. We have this gymnasium. We have uh, these extra uh, facilities at our church. We have all these different programs and everything. And it becomes more about that stuff than what the church really is. It's just a gathering of people. That's it. I mean, it would be great if we owned this place, or, and, and maybe we will one day. But there's always that danger to be getting kind of comfortable and saying, well, the church is the building and all the stuff that we have and all the programs we have make up who we are. And that's not the case. It's the same with baseball. As you know, I'm a baseball coach. And the, today's players, unlike when I was in college in the 80s, we didn't get caught up so much in the gear. Today's players are totally caught up in what they're wearing. Their cleats, their uniform, their warm-ups, their jackets, their hats, everything. It's, it's, it's really out of hand, to be quite honest with you. There's, a, there's an Instagram or is it a Twitter account, it's called See the Gear. And so each team, when they get their new stuff, they take a picture of their new stuff, and then they put it on Instagram or Twitter so everybody can see it. We have Adidas stuff and we have Rawlings stuff, so we did that. And then you put hashtag Rawlings or hashtag whatever, and, uh, and, 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 and that's what happens. So what do we do? My young coaches, you know, I'm 50, my coaches are in their 20s. They said, Coach Muskin, you gotta take a picture of the cleats and put them on, on the website or on the Instagram or the Twitter. I said, okay, let's do it. So I'm, I'm becoming like everybody else in that sense. But you gotta, you, you gotta, you know, you gotta do that. But what I told the players, I said, listen, you're not defined by what you wear. You're not defined, and we play at this beautiful minor league stadium down the road. That's a $50 million state-of-the-art minor league stadium. I said, we're not defined by the stadium. We're not defined by our weight room facility. We're not defined by any of this stuff. What you're wearing, it's still the same game. You still got to go 90 feet. The balls, the, the, the dimensions of the field are the same. And it, it is who you are on the inside. It's not the gear. It's not the outer trappings that make you. And it's the same with Christianity. It's not the building. It's not all this other stuff. It's God's holiness, which I'll get to. Um, so I said in the center, you have this most holy place. And, but there's a problem. As I said, it's great, but it's dangerous. And so you couldn't get too close or you couldn't approach God's holy place in the wrong way. Or, as we saw in the Old Testament, you would die. And several people did die. Okay, and I guess that's why God told Moses, don't come any closer. He didn't say you're going to die, but maybe that was about to happen. And that would have changed everything, right? That would have changed the entire Old Testament. So God sets up this, um, this ritual, this purity ritual um, 
system, okay? And so before getting close to God's holiness, you had to get ritually pure, different from morally pure, okay? So you had to be in a state of cleanliness. You cannot touch things that were diseased. Anybody that had diseased skin, you cannot touch a dead body. You cannot have contact with some bodily fluids. Uh, and this was going on. And so, so being ritually pure was not, or impure I should say, it's not sinful. It was just you could not be in God's presence. That's the way it was, okay? And so being in God's presence in an impure state is a serious problem. As I said, it could end up in death. And so what did God do? He set up this entire intricate, detailed system of being able to get ritually purified. In fact, there are 613 laws uh, in Leviticus. Okay? Detailed laws of knowing when you are impure and knowing how to get ritually pure again. Because the Israelites wanted that. Okay? They wanted to be ritually pure so they could have that communion and that connection with God's holiness. Now, it's not, it's some difficult reading. And that's kind of where I'm at right now in the Bible Project. I'm on day whatever, 48, 49. And it's, uh, it's tough in those times because you're not totally reading something that's practical to your life that day. But this is helping me right here. Realizing there was a reason for all this, and it helps me today understanding why it was done in the first place. And so, let's fast forward to a prophet named Isaiah. And I want you to turn there, Isaiah chapter 6. Is that too loud? Am I too loud? that was looked at by Phil Garrison uh, down at the uh, Prudential or the, uh, the big service down in Jersey. But I'm, I'm going to look at the stuff before it, actually, because the stuff he looked at was here, here my send me. But I want to point out something else. And this is the prophet Isaiah, and he has this tremendous vision of being, I'm in Isaiah chapter 6, he has this tremendous vision of being in the presence of God's holiness. And he, he, he has this vision of seeing this crazy creature that has six wings called a seraphim. Okay? Now that's some serious meditation right there. When you get into that state, you start to see things. It's kind of cool. And um, he's just communing with God, and, but he knows that he's in God's presence, and he's like, uh-oh, I'm in big trouble. Because he knows the rules. He knows that he's not ritually pure, possibly. And so, that's where we pick up. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. Two wings they covered their faces, two wings they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. 
Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. Isaiah knew it. He's like, I'm about to go down. I'm about to be scorched. I am no, I'm not going to be on this earth any longer. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, right there in front of God's most holy place. All right? Um, verse 7. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. So amazing visual here with Isaiah. All right? This seraphim reaches up, grabs this hot white coal, and puts it on Isaiah's lips. Right after Isaiah said, I'm not supposed to be here, I'm impure, this is bad. And then the seraphim says, don't worry about it. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Okay? See, the old, in the Old Testament, in the old way of viewing things, and that's where Isaiah was, an impure thing touches you, you become impure. Okay? And, and, and he was impure. He thought he was impure because, you know, he wasn't right with God or something. And now, under the new idea here, you're not destroyed by God's holiness, but you're going to be transformed by it. And that is the coal that the seraphim puts on Isaiah's lips. So you're not going to be destroyed by God's holiness. You're going to be transformed. You're going to be a new person. Your sin is atoned for. Your guilt is taken away. An amazing thing. So that's the first kind of idea that something new is coming in the future. Now we skip forward a little bit more and we go to another prophet, Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel 47. So Ezekiel, like Isaiah, another prophet, having this incredible communion with God and is having a vision. Okay? Chapter 47, verse 1. And he's got this man in his, in his vision. He says, the man brought me back to the entrance to the temple. Oh, he's at, back at the temple where God's holiness is, right? So there we are. We're back at the temple. So the man brought me back to the entrance to the temple. And I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. Once again, the altar where the, where the coal was taken from. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside of the outer gate facing east. And the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through the water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through the water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through the water that was up to my waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a full-blown river that I could not cross 
because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he, then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because the water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So, where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from En Gedi to En Iglam, where there will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and the marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both, both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. So that's the vision that Ezekiel has. So the water comes out of the, out of the temple. First, it's just kind of dripping out. Then it turns into a stream. Then it turns into a river. And, um, and then there's just amazing uh, 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 trees and bushes and, and flowers and all this vegetation on the banks of the river, this massive area of green, and then the fish and, and everything. And so once again, we have the old concept. You become pure, then you go into the temple. Alright? That was the old concept. Become pure, then I can enter into God's holiness. But the new one is where the holiness is coming out of the temple. That's the river. It's coming out. And it's going to impact everybody. And that river is going to flow and touch everybody. Okay? So, God's holiness comes out, making things pure, making things full of life creating this beauty, creating this order that we live in. Okay? Don't have to go into the temple. The holiness of the temple is going to come out. So what does this all mean? So that brings us to Jesus, obviously. I hope you were kind of catching that a little bit. These prophecies really, I believe, are pointing to Jesus, pointing to the new covenant, pointing to a new way to access God's holiness. Think about it. Jesus, prior to going to the cross, dying, and being resurrected on the third day, prior to doing all that, he obviously taught. He spent time and trained and taught his disciples. He served people. But do you remember, throughout the New Testament, all four Gospels, he was touching people, right? He was putting his hands on people. What's up with that? Why was he doing that? What he was doing, I believe, was he was transferring his purity to them. Coming out of the temple. Okay? He was transferring his purity to them. Okay? The question I have for you then is, 
if that's how Jesus really is impacting us, or that's how God's holiness is really uh, getting in our lives today, you need Jesus, you need the Son of God to really touch your life in a way that is life-changing. Okay? It's not enough just to kind of be around or close. Jesus actually touched those people. And today, obviously we don't have the physical Jesus here with us, but what kind of relationship do you really have? Are you really being touched by him? Are you really getting close enough to be touched by him? And if that is where the holiness of God is, then you have to get closer. You have to get in arm's length. You have to be touched by him to have that transformation that I'm talking about. Jesus claimed to be the embodiment of God's holiness. The embodiment of it. So we've gone from the temple, now that God's holiness is walking around in the form of a man. Pretty amazing. Okay? And all that Old Testament stuff is leading up to this full revelation of God's holiness. So here's God walking around, touching people, making people pure. Alright? And then when Jesus died, rose from the dead, he said very clearly that you, the church, you guys are now God's temple. And that through God's holy people, God's holy presence would go out and bring the life and bring the healing and bring the hope that God's holiness brings. So that's really what it's all about, guys. God has decided to put his holiness in one man, Jesus, but now he's putting his holiness in the church, in people, and that you have an opportunity now to have that holiness being transferred out and really impacting, bringing life, bringing healing, bringing hope to people all around you. Is that what you're doing? Better question, is that how you view your life? Think about that, God's holiness. Is that how you view your life? You get no points, no points for looking down on yourself and having this, you know, I'm not, I don't have the talent or I don't have the skills or I don't, I don't, I don't have the, the, the tools to be able to do this. It's all right here. You do have the tools. We had a friend of mine, Tony Abatini, come and speak to the baseball team. He's a, a mental game guy, so he talked about that. And one of the little silly activities but it's not really silly, it means a lot. As he said, think of your favorite superhero. Your favorite superhero, Superman, Aquaman, uh, Captain America, the Hulk, whatever it is. He goes, I want you to think of that superhero. When you walk on the baseball field, you are him. You need to walk on that baseball field with some swagger. You need to have incredible confidence. And then he did a little, little skit with the guy. He says, walk in like you're defeated. Walk in like you can't do anything right or whatever. And so the kid walked in, the player walked in, and his shoulders were stumping, he was kicking the ground. And then he goes, now I want you to walk in like you're Spider-Man. So he walked in totally different. His chest was up. He's walking on his toes, full of confidence. And he was going to make an impact on the game. And he was going to make an impact on his team. Shouldn't that be the same way? With us, if I'm saying that God is giving us his holiness and putting it inside of us, we should be walking around with a little uh, uh, humble swagger. Let me put it that way. A little swagger, not prideful and, 
and, and cocky and arrogant, but some swagger. You have something to offer someone. You have something to give someone. So if you're not doing that, then let's go back to my first question. Are you really and have you really been touched in the way that the Bible says you need to be touched by Jesus? You can't have one without having the first one. The other thing he asked the team, and I'll ask this, are you a drain or are you a fountain? And that goes along with our water flowing out of the temple uh, metaphor. The guy asked every player on the team, are you a drain? Are you sucking the life out of everything? Or are you a fountain? Are you really, is, is the living water coming out of you? And, and is everybody being encouraged and blessed and, and motivated uh, by your presence? So I know we all feel bad some days. I, you know, it's just, it's the nature of things in a certain way. But you got to fight against that. And you got to go back to the truth. Because the truth, how you feel sometimes is not the truth. Okay? And it's real, and I understand it, and I feel that way too, but it doesn't mean it's the truth. You've got, you got to focus in on the truth, and it can have an impact on your, on your day, your week, and your life. And so, I started thinking about, well, what about John 4? Remember the Samaritan woman? Je Jesus walks up to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and he's talking about what? She wants a drink of water, and what does Jesus offer her? The living water, once again. Harkening back to Ezekiel, that water flowing out of the temple. And then John 7, which is a great scripture, I think is connected exactly to it. I want you to turn there, 737. John 737. Okay. Here we go. So this is Jesus. Now we're getting to the final revelation. God's holiness embodied in Jesus. He's touching people. And now he says a few things here. On the last and greatest day of the festival in Jerusalem, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, Rivers of living water will flow from within them. Amazing. Okay? That's what Jesus is saying we have access to now. They never had access to it in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant. And now we have this access and we can become that great fountain, that great stream, that great river to have an impact on everyone else around us. Okay? But whoever believes in Jesus, and as the scripture has said, this is what will happen to you. An amazing thing. And then last scripture I want to share with you is kind of the full beyond that in the future. And it's in the book of Revelation, chapter 7 again. And I'll close out with this and a final thought. Chapter 7, verse 13 of Revelation. This is uh, John, the Apostle John there, and he's having this revelation, hence the name of the book, vision of what's going to happen in the future, and it's all connected back to Moses, Isaiah, the temple, obviously Jesus, Ezekiel, in verse 13, it says, then one of the elders asked me, 
These in the white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. See, in the book of Revelation, we get this glimpse that the holiness of God then will be back to where it was at the Garden of Eden. It's everywhere, okay? And that's what heaven, I believe, is. Is there is no place... There is nowhere to go that you're separated from the holiness of God. It is there, everywhere. And so he gives us this little glimpse into the future. But we're not in the future yet. And we have this access to God's holiness through Jesus. We have the church that God is working through. We have an opportunity to be a part of it. And we have an opportunity to have a tremendous impact and transfer that holiness to everyone around us, in our family, in our neighborhood, and at the places that we work, and the places that we go. So I hope this encourages you, and it gives you a little bit of insight into God's holiness and what he expects from us in our life today. And thank you. Thank you for listening to the Hudson Valley Region Podcast. For more information about our ministry or to attend a church service, please visit our website at hvregion.com. 